Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Potomac Perspective from Stiefel. I'm Neil Shapiro, head of corporate communications, and I'm joined as always by the star of the show, Brian Gardner, our chief Washington policy strategist. Hi, Brian. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm uh, doing a little bit better than I was a couple of days ago. Um, first time I've seen the Yankees win two in a row in almost four weeks. So um, uh, it's been a rough month, but um, at least uh, at least the ship has been stabilized a little bit. It has been. And, you know, we've got the Yankees alive, the Mets very much alive. And as we've been saying for the past couple of weeks, our colleagues in the home office in St. Louis, the Cardinals, they're peaking at just the right time. So, well, I, I, I think um, I think Ron and all Cardinal fans can uh, send a, a word of thanks along to the Yankees and Brian Cashman because that Jordan Montgomery trade has worked out absolutely brilliantly for the Cardinals. Um, yeah. He's setting records for uh, performance in his first four starts, I believe, with, I with a new that. team. I mean, it, yeah, it's it's really it's, impressive. Uh, it is what he's done. It is. And even, you know, as you know, Brian, you're down in Washington. We have a big uh, presence in Baltimore. A lot of our colleagues are in Baltimore and even the Orioles. It seems like a long shot, but even the Orioles on August 23rd, when we're recording this, are still technically alive. So, yeah. Um, and, you know, and people are back in the ballpark in uh, in Baltimore, Camden Yards. And for any uh, any listeners who, uh, you know, like to take in uh different baseball stadiums and haven't uh, hit Baltimore, I, I urge you to get there because it really is a great ballpark. And now that there are people back in it, um, it's, it's a fun place to go watch a game. And uh, uh, again, it, it, it's been, uh, it's been a tough couple of years for the O's. Very true. Well, in addition to, you know, we're getting into fall baseball, the other thing, Brian, and this will segue nicely into Washington, uh, which is really the purpose of the podcast, is I was driving in this morning and I noticed, um, and it may have been open earlier and I just didn't notice it, but I saw today one of those like pop-up Halloween costume stores um, in one of the local strip malls is now open. Um, so if Halloween is now on people's minds, we know election day is not far behind. So I guess by our calculation, we've got 11 weeks or so until election day. So maybe it's a good time for us to sort of take stock and talk about where we stand um, as we head into into the fall. Absolutely. So, um, you know, Democrats have had a, a, a few good weeks here. Um, they, they notched some legislative wins, um, getting the CHIPS Act passed and signed into law, the Inflation Reduction Act. And, you know, that, that's kind of inside the beltway and inside baseball, but um, it's still important for them. Um, you know, those were, especially the, the uh, IRA, that was a smaller bill than what progressives wanted, but it still gives Democrats around the country a boost of confidence and lets them go on offense instead of been playing defense as they had been for, for months. Um, last month, inflation it didn't subside, but it didn't go up either. So in, in some respects, that's a bit of a sigh of relief for, for Democrats. And also, you know, the Supreme Court decision in the Dobbs case seems to have energized Democratic voters. I mean, I, I have been and continue to be a little skeptical on, on how it's going to play out in November. But for now, it definitely has given Democratic uh, candidates and voters a boost. Um, there's an NBC poll out, and I'm going to come back to polling in a second, Neil, but... Uh, an NBC poll out 
Um, 66% of Democratic voters now have a high level of interest in the midterms. Now, that's two points behind Republican voters, who were 68% say they have a high level of interest in the midterms. But that gap is, uh, is, is down from eight points, what it was a few months ago. Um, and so why don't I just go back to, since I mentioned this poll, because I, I can see the eyes rolling on a lot of, uh, of our listeners um, about polling. Um, so it, it, it's always good to, to, you know, give the caveat or disclaimer on polls. Polls aren't everything, but they still are instructive, even though you might say, oh, there were polls that were wrong in 2020. Yes, but polling is, it can be very helpful to show momentum and trend. Yeah, and, exactly. And that, that's, that, that, so that's, that's a lot of the reason why I, I will cite polls. It's not that I think a candidate or a party is up at any given time, but let's, let's look at the trends and see where things yeah. are heading. That, 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 that's, the, that's the real value of polling. Exactly. I mean, even not to spend the whole podcast on polling, but even in 2020, when everybody got it wrong, one thing that was right is even in the final days and weeks of the election, it did show the the the, uh, the contest narrowing, right? The gap narrowing. It didn't it still yes. had Clinton, uh, uh, you know, it's not Trump losing by quite a bit, but it did show him gaining momentum. And that, to your point, is um, is you know, a good use of, of the polling. But, you know, you mentioned that the gap um, between Republicans and Democrats, the, the interest in the midterm is narrowing. Do you think that the um, the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago, Trump's property in Florida, do you think there was, that had an impact on anything? Yeah, probably. Um, yeah, the, the, that news certainly shifted media attention away from the economy um, which had been a negative for Democrats, and I think continues to be a negative for Democrats, and puts it back on uh, former President Trump. Um, and that could explain, you know, why that gap, that enthusiasm gap narrowed. It, it kind of excites Democratic voters. And, and it probably hurts Republican candidates a little bit. Uh, anytime attention is not on the incumbent um, and the economy, I think that helps the Democrats. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we've, we've talked before, it's definitely been a couple of uh, good weeks for Biden and for the Democrats. And, and we don't want to put too much in polls. But, you know, for as many victories as Biden has had legislatively in the last couple of weeks, it's really not all good news for him. I mean, he still has a lot of hurdles to overcome and the Democrats as well. Wouldn't you agree with that? I, I totally agree. Um, I think that's absolutely correct. Um President Biden's job approval numbers, they've recovered a little bit, um, but according to the Real Clear Politics Average, um, which people know I, I, I like because it smooths out some of the, um, the, the outliers in, in various polls and gives you, a, I think, a better sense of, of what's happening. Um, but only in, in, the, in the Real Clear Politics Average, only 41% of voters uh, approve of the job that the president's doing. Um, now, that's a little bit of recovery, but he's not into good territory. He's still yeah. in, uh, the, you know, the, the danger sign, the danger uh, warnings are still flashing. Um, yeah, you want to be also, a, you want to be above fifty percent at least, right? I would say forty-five at the minimum, and he's yeah. not there. Um, uh, fifty, obviously, being better, but uh, once you start getting under forty-five, I, I, I think that's a real problem. Um, and also, over 70% of voters think the country is going in the wrong direction, according to the average of, at Real Clear Politics. Now, again, that's an improvement over the last six weeks, but it's still one of the worst ratings over the past decade. And, 
It's similar to numbers that President Trump saw during the depths of the pandemic and the wake of January 6th. But most of the time, the Trump numbers, uh, the direction right. of the country right. were, were in the, were, they were better. I mean, the yeah, long track numbers were, were in the, in the mid mid to low fifties. Mm-hmm. We're dealing over 70%. And, um, while that number tends not to be a great number anyway, um, uh, voters are, have been pessimistic for a while. We're still at, at, the high end of those ranges over the last decade or so. So you know, Democrats have narrowed the deficit in the generic poll as well, um, but they need to lead in the poll by several points in order to hold serve in, in November, and they're not. And so um, I guess, you know, to sum it up, um, you know, they have to be a little bit nervous. They, the Democrats, have to be a little bit nervous that this is their high watermark, that yes, they've had a recovery, but if they start to backslide, from this little bump up, they're they're in real trouble in uh, in November. Well, so th- all that being said, where where do you think we are in terms of November for the midterms? Uh, where things net out for both the House? Um, well, let's start with the House. Where do you? Th- I mean, sure. for a yep. long time you've been talking about you know the Republicans easily regain control of the House. Do you still feel that way? Absolutely, still there. Um, they're still very heavily favored to win the House. Um, it's going to take a lot more improvement in the poll numbers uh, to signal that Democrats could actually retain the House. Certainly much more improvement than what we just talked about. Um, the Republicans may not gain as many seats as it looked like they could a couple of months ago, but they're, they're st- still in a strong position. And, you know, I, I guess I'll, I'll go back to a point I've made before. Um, you know, they, they did pick up 13 seats in 2020, which is highly unusual. I mean, it, you know, a first term president coming in usually has coattails and brings in um, uh, a number of additional House seats. Democrats lost 13. That, that 13 actually could cap Republican gains because they've already they've already won back a couple of seats. So, um, you know, I, I, I think a couple of weeks ago, I, I probably was looking in the, for Republicans to win 25 to 35 extra seats. Um, you know, 35 seems like a real stretch right now. 30 is probably a longer shot. It's probably going to settle in, you know, as we look at it today, um, again, things, it's always fluid and can change, um, probably in the 20 to 25 range. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, the Senate is a different story, right? As we've said before, that's a lot harder to predict. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Well, it's hard. It's, it's not so much, Neil, that it's harder, it's different. Um, and it's different in, in a fundamental way. So the House runs every two years. So every two years, all 435 House members are up for re-election. And that is a national election because it represents every congressional district. The Senate, only a third run because they have staggered terms. And so it just depends on where those seats are in a given cycle. Um, in this cycle, um, there are 35 seats up for, for re- election because of a, a couple of retirements. Um, and so when you and so, you know, when you look at where those seats are, Republicans are defending 21 of the 35. Democrats are only defending 14. So just the math tells you that Republicans have fewer opportunities to pick up seats than Democrats do. That's just basic math. Um, and then you look at where the states are. Um, Democrats are running in some pretty friendly states for them. Um, and then candidates matter because these are statewide races. The media can pay much more attention 
to them than they can to the individual 435 house races, you can spend time uh, looking at the 33 to 35 uh, seats up in the Senate. So candidates do matter. And Republicans have a couple of first-time candidates in, in, some, in some key states where the incumbents are retiring. Um, and those first-time candidates are struggling. It's not easy to run as a first-time candidate. There's a learning curve. Um, and and first-time, I mean, they haven't run for lower office, right? So they haven't been elected to the state legislature. They've never served in, they've never run for any office before. And now they're, they're being thrust into a statewide race with a lot of media attention. Um, that's not easy. Um, so some of them are struggling. And again, doesn't mean they can't come from behind and win some of these races. The Republicans can still win the majority. But if the election were held today, I think Democrats would keep their majority, probably even add a, a seat, um, possibly two, but um, that, that, that would be a, a bit of a stretch. But a lot, like I said, a lot can happen over the next couple of weeks. Republicans are going to start spending more money on TV. Um, we'll see how the, the, uh, the political ads and the attack ads um, play out. Um, the economy, the border, the, these are all items and issues that are going to come more into focus again. And so, you know, with, if the Democrats' uh, good summer for them fades and the, the political environment shifts back towards Republicans, um, then Republicans might be able to get the, the Senate. But um, Democrats right now have to feel a lot better about their chances in the Senate than they did, let's say, just two months ago. I bet. And I could tell you, you know, I often tell people, if you've ever been to Lake Placid, New York, um, it's sort of like time is frozen. You're back in, you know, 1980, whatever it was, where they had the Winter Olympics and nothing has really changed. This past weekend, I had the opportunity to drive through parts of Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and Ohio, and the amount of Trump-Pence campaign signage that is still up, you would think the election was not happened yet. I mean, people are not giving up their uh, their campaign paraphernalia on the lawn. So there's still a lot of uh, feelings, I guess, about the election in some parts of the country. Well, look, look, I mean, the, the, yeah, the, the, the Trump base is incredibly loyal to him. Um, it, it's, it's really a very rare phenomenon that you see this depth of loyalty uh, to, uh, to yeah. a particular person, particular candidate, a public official. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we have, we've talked about it on previous podcasts. You know, it goes back to his line back in 2016, 2015, whenever it was that he could walk down Fifth Avenue and right. shoot five people and his his supporters would stick with him. I mean, it, it's he was absolutely right in saying that. Yeah. Well, Brian, as you know, uh, a lot of our listeners are Stiefel clients, whether they be on the sort of wealth management side, whether they be individuals that we um, serve or whether they be on the institutional side and their corporations or institutional investors. But it all comes down in many cases to the markets. And now that we've talked a lot about where we are with the midterms and potentially in 2024, um, the mood of the country, what do you think it all means for the markets? Yeah. So uh, let me just talk about this in terms of Republicans picking up the house. Um, Cause I, I think that um, that's what probably most on investors minds. And I think invest, and I think the markets could be in for a choppy ride if, uh, if Republicans do win the House. Um, you know, clearly, there, there's some positive for the markets coming out of that, right? Tax hikes will be off the table. Um, 
uh, you know, spending increases are going to be capped, um, quite limited. Um, so I, I think, uh, and, and, you know, there's a, there could be a, a check on, on the, the Biden agenda. And I, and I think investors will like that. Um, and for good reason, um, at the same time, um, there are some risks here. Um, there are conservatives, the, the house freedom caucus, which is a, uh, a group of, of, uh, uh, Republican conservative Republicans, they're already pushing the House leadership to not pass long-term funding bills at the end of this year. Um, so, just for for background, the federal government's fiscal year starts on October one. Um, Congress is probably going to pass a short-term funding bill to get us to December, and then in December, the lame duck session, um, uh, Congress would like to to uh, and members of both parties would like to pass a longer term funding bill um, for the rest of the year. Um, and I think conservatives are saying not so fast. Um, and so if we don't get that longer term funding bill at the end of this year, 2023 could just be a year of these short term funding bills. The, in Washington talk, we refer to them as continuing resolutions, CRs. Mm -hmm. You're probably going to see those terms a lot. Continuing resolution and CR, get used to them. Um, and so, you know, every time Congress fails to pass a CR, there could be a government shutdown. So there's an increased possibility in, in shutdowns. And also CRs fund the government at current levels. They do not bake in increased funding. So whatever funding level there was for defense spending in 22, that will be the level in a CR in 23. So no increased spending in defense, which I think a lot of people have been expecting. Mm -hmm. uh, on the infrastructure side, the you know, last year, a, a Congress passed a bill to authorize new infrastructure spending, but every year Congress then has to go back and appropriate these, addi these additional funds, the additional increase year after year. And we're probably going to be stuck at the, the we could be stuck, I should say, at the 22 levels. So, um, so you know, that's something to keep in mind. And that, that can impact those specific sectors for investors that were looking for a bump up in revenue in, uh, uh, in uh, sectors related to defense and infrastructure spending. That may not, not be coming through. May not happen. May not happen. Um so that's a risk. And also the debt ceiling. Um, the debt ceiling could be reached sometime in early, mid-2023. Um, uh, the debt ceiling is a function of cash flows. It's not, a, it's not tied to a specific date. So it all depends on how much revenue uh, the government is collecting from taxes. So we, we never quite know um, uh, when it's going to be reached. But most estimates have it early, mid-2023. And House Republican leaders might have a tough time getting their members to, to vote to raise the debt ceiling. Um, and on the flip side, you know, Democrats may not be as interested in helping out Republicans, uh, bailing them out on a tough vote. Um, so you get to these potential showdowns over the debt ceiling, and that, that could royal markets. Now, I, I don't think there's going to be a default. I think ultimately they will, they, Congress and the administration will, will reach agreements on a debt ceiling increase, but there's going to be a lot of drama and, and, you know, could go up to the last minute. And that always has the potential to, uh, uh, to add volatility to the market. So, um, 
Yeah, this, um, it's, it, it's going to be a, an interesting year in the markets and in politics, um, yeah. uh, you know, depending on what exactly happens in the midterms. Yeah. And I mean, as far as the markets go, I mean, this is not even counting in all the, the, the monetary policy and what the Fed does with right. interest rates and how aggressive yep. they are and um, exactly. what happens with the... You know, uh, and, and, you know, and Neil, maybe I should go back for a second and, and kind of, you know, connect this to what I said earlier about Republicans winning the House and maybe buy fewer with fewer gains than I thought uh, a couple of months ago. That also means then that the their majority being slimmer, um, that any renegade group, opposition group within the Republican Party, the Freedom Caucus is what I have in mind, um, that increases their leverage and it forces Republican leaders then to go cut deals with Democrats. And it, that in turn increases Democratic leverage. Um, so it becomes a very unwieldy institution um, where you're not going to get a lot done. And that's not, even though th- th- you go back to the old saying that, you know, the markets love gridlock, the markets love gridlock until they don't. Um, so um, I-, I think 23 could be a, a rather volatile year uh, when you talk about the intersection of politics and the markets. Yeah. And then before you know it, we'll be talking about 24, which will be a presidential. Well, I'm already thinking about it in the back of my mind. So we'll, we'll, we'll save that discussion for another day, but I'm, it, it's certainly on the radar. Yeah, there was a big story. I can't remember which. I don't remember if it was Politico or The Hill, but one of them had a big story about DeSantis in Florida and um, whether there's any stopping him or whether he's just going to plow ahead. But I guess that's, an, that's a topic for maybe another, another podcast episode. I, I, I think our listeners know what we'll be talking about in the next couple of weeks. I think so. All right. Well, Brian, uh, thank you. And that will do it for this episode of Potomac Perspective. Thanks to everyone for listening. Don't forget, you can download all the episodes of Potomac Perspective from your favorite podcast platform. And I've always wanted to say this, Brian, even though I'm not a school teacher, I will see you again in September. All right, Neil. Happy Labor Day, everybody. And uh, we'll see you in September. So long.